This comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 57 to 68. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's a comfort for us to remember that not only are you calling us, that you want a personal love relationship with every one of us, and not only as we come to know you, do we see that you are glorious, you are the perfection of truth, beauty, and goodness, but you are also a redeeming God. Lord, in our most honest moments, we're willing to admit, beginning with ourselves, looking at ourselves in the mirror, that we are broken, even sinful, falling short of your perfect standard. But that's why we praise you, that you are a redeeming God, who you've revealed yourself to be to us through your scriptures, to be a loving father who loves the world so much and wants as many to place faith in your way of redemption, in your way of being brought back to you by your grace that you sent your only son. And so this Christmas, help us to understand more of that message, to understand it in our thoughts, our intellect, to know and feel it in our feelings, our affection, our gut, and that you would move us by your Holy Spirit to want to live into that, to follow Jesus, to see life in a fresh new way through your eyes. Lord, we look out on our city, and at this time we see so many vestiges, so many fingerprints of your grace. Lord, from the beautiful decorations, to the warm, twinkling, bright lights against the dark skies, to all the symbols of Christmas that we heard unpacked in the, the play today, to all the goodness and goodwill and kindness, the, just the extra effort that we see being spread around. We thank you that we live in a city that on one hand is doing its best, 
that is mindful, doing its best to try to be mindful of those in need on the streets, being a community, a collective society that is trying to help each other out through food banks and clothing drives. Lord, we thank you for all these signs of of your goodness and grace. Lord, help us to look even beyond all those things and to see the real source of all that goodness, the real meaning behind Christmas, and to know that all this goodness, all this grace, it's ultimately a reflection of you and that you invite us to be as much and abundantly a benefit of your grace through Christ as possible. And so we ask, Lord, beginning with your church, your new society, so to speak, your new people, that you would help us to continue to be a light, to live this out, and that you would give us words just seasoned with graciousness to continue to share this good message of Jesus Christ. And so even now, as we turn to your word, we ask that you would uh, help us to understand and to see more of Jesus, even through his cousin John's story of his birth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, if you haven't already, and if you'd like to, uh, you can scan this QR code and uh, download the bulletin uh, if you want to follow along. But the uh, outline of the sermon and so forth will be on the screen as well. So uh, if it uh, benefits you, go ahead and snap that right now. Give you a second. Okay. Well, we've had all this Christmas cheer, but I want to say uh, bah humbug. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Uh, So goes the famous cynical, angry line of Ebenezer Scrooge in the timeless uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. If you're unfamiliar with A Christmas Carol, the story is about uh, the mean, greedy, miserly, callous Ebenezer Scrooge and his being confronted by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And he's confronted with his shortcomings, character flaws, uh, and it's a wonderful story of redemption where we actually ultimately see him being transformed into a better version of himself. Uh, Charles Dickens, the author and a professed Christian, uh, he got it decently right. The, the true meaning of Christmas certainly is an invitation to be changed, to be transformed by a greater goodness, uh, more specifically when we consider where Christmas comes from in the first place, meaning Christmas is really about Jesus Christmas then all the more the true meaning of Christmas is an invitation to be changed by the advent or the coming of uh, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's really the truest meaning of it all, if you really want to get to the roots of Christmas. So that's why I hope today, as you hear this message, that something like this prayer might bubble up in your hearts, and it'll stick with you. This is really the main idea of the sermon today. Lord, Keep bringing my take on life into focus through the lens of your wonderful gospel of grace. Meaning, let my life and my outlook on life, my perspective of life, make more and more sense by considering it through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Uh, And not only that, 
let this transform and change and better by making sense of you, God, first of all, myself, the purpose of this life and all the suffering and injustice that I see in the world and ultimately my hope through it all. So what I really want you to get is that there's actually a word that could summarize the meaning of this whole prayer. And I'm hoping that as I share this word with you, that some of you actually will be pleasantly surprised because it goes against your understanding of this word, perhaps, in your experience. A word that sums up this prayer, which is really about a perspective change, even a worldview change, is repentance. And so another way to pray this prayer, different words would be, Lord, keep bringing real, beautiful repentance into my life. Now, true biblical repentance is nothing more or less than just a change of mind. It's a change and a shift in perspective and an outlook on life that inspires deep transformation and change. And true biblical repentance, uh, it's, it's a choosing to see life through the lens of Christ Jesus and his gospel. Now, what goes hand in hand always with genuine repentance is uh, faith. Just a wonderful, uh, hopeful faith. And then from that faith, if you really believe in something, then you act towards that, right? You live into that. And so our, our conduct, our, our decisions change. Now, the problem I know for some of us, uh, perhaps you had an experience of church where repentance was more associated and it was brought about by guilt tripping and shaming, perhaps even being told to come up with as an exhaustive list of all, you know, your naughty list, basically, and to have just deep, you know, shamed, uh, painful emotions tied with that. Now, certainly, there can be sincere contrition and sorrow when there's a real change of mind to the way you look out on life, but that's secondary. That, that's meant to be a fruit. Now, it's when you, when you look at the life of Jesus, what's astounding is how he dealt with especially those who are sincere in their, their contrition. There's no shaming on his part. Certainly, he's willing to call out misgivings, but it's not with shaming. And he says, therefore, now that you've been changed, go and sin no more. Very gentle, very loving. Now, how he dealt with those who were blatantly self-righteous, like the religious leaders, and they were arrogant in their self-righteousness, he deals with them in a different way. That's a different, uh, another story for another day. Now, we're starting this way because I want you to, perhaps some of you, it's an opportunity to redefine repentance. And for those who are already following Christ, have placed faith in him, to just go deeper into a true understanding of repentance. And so I want to ask for uh, the rest of today, what good things can we learn from Zachariah's experience of repentance? Because that's the scene. It's really a picture of Zachariah repenting in, in the most beautiful and truest sense of the word. And so I want to do my best to just show you uh, two things today, a shorter message today. And first, just to get into uh, what it is, what, what is biblical repentance, and uh, how we know it's genuine, okay? Now, as I explained uh, earlier, we're looking at Zachariah's life here, and uh, he was an uncle 
to Jesus of sorts. Because Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, we know was uh, a cousin of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is the wife of Zachariah, just to give you a little bit of background. And as I said, if we're going to appreciate the true story and what Luke wants, Dr. Luke, who wrote this gospel, uh, what he wants us to appreciate, if we're going to appreciate the birth of Jesus, there's a prequel. We need to appreciate the birth of John the Baptist. And so let's dive in. First, uh, what, remember, we're asking, what good things can we learn from Zachariah's experience of repentance? And so first, what is it? Repentance, it boils down to trusting God's word and what he says he'll do, okay? Hopefully that's simple enough and something that you can just walk away with. What repentance basically is, is trusting God's word and what he's, he'll say he'll do. It's important to remember the context of today's scene. Uh, we're going to jump back a little bit. And the background is that God delivers a message to Zechariah. He was a vocational priest, a vocational minister, if you will, uh, serving in the temple. And uh, he delivers a message to Zechariah through the angel Gabriel. Uh, and what we see is that Zechariah did not initially believe God's message. God's word. To jog our memory, let's look back at verse 13. I'll, I'll read verse 13, and then uh, I'll show you verse 18. Verse 13 in chapter 1, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. There's the first thing that's going to happen, and you will call his name John. And then we see the true diagnosis of Zachariah's heart. And Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And so see here, this word for good news, it's the same word for gospel, where gospel is used elsewhere. So here is a version of the gospel that's being shared to Zechariah. And then here it is. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so we know underneath the surface, what was going on in Zachariah's heart was unbelief. Unbelief. And so now there were consequences. Zachariah would not be able to speak. He was mute until his son would be born. But Zachariah would have another chance to demonstrate genuine repentance, meaning changing his mind and belief in God's words. And so we jump to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. So nine months later, here is the baby actually being born. Now notice the baby was born, but if you caught from the reading, Zachariah was still mute. So what's going on? If you recall, God said that to Zachariah, a few, two things had to happen. First, the baby had to be born, which happened. But now, specifically, one more thing had to happen. A true act of repentance on Zachariah's part, a changing of his mind to agree with God's way of seeing things, of trusting God's word. So again, going back to verse 13, 
Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. Here's the first thing that had to happen, and it did happen. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. That was the second thing that had to happen. That would be a demonstration of Zachariah actually changing perspective, changing his mind, and living out, demonstrating that he actually believes. Now, there is a natural challenge built in to this command to call this, his baby John. Something that would test and even tempt Zechariah to obey, like from whether he would actually obey or not, his willingness to obey, to fully change his mind. And this would be a tough challenge because it wasn't only his challenge. It was actually his culture's challenge. It was the culture that he was living in. It was the culture, the air that he and his wife and his neighbors breathed. But not only his culture, it probably even uh, just tugged and challenged um, Zachariah's own pride and ego. So let's look at verse 59, because we see what this challenge is. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This is, again, their religious tradition, according to the law of Moses. And they would have called him, notice, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, the neighbors said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. You see the challenge? It boiled down to what the baby would be named. Now, our family has a story about baby naming. Uh, when it came to naming our firstborn, it was a no-brainer for Linda. When we knew from the ultrasound that it was going to be a boy, she said, oh, no question, we're naming him Christopher. <laughs> she didn't even let me give options. <laughs> so curious, I asked about her not-to-be-denied conviction, why? <laughs> and I'll never forget her answer. <laughs> when I was little, I named my favorite teddy bear Christopher. <laughs> And I always told myself that if I have a son, he's also going to be named Christopher. I have permission to share this story from both my son and my wife. To which I compassionately responded, I'm not naming our son after your teddy bear. But then I thought to myself, ah, it's not a bad name. Let me look into it. And I learned quickly that Christopher means Christ-like or Christ-bearer. And then I got the idea to find a middle name that meant leader. And I came upon the old English word spelled L-A-E-D-E-N, Laden, which means leader. And so we named him Christopher Laden. And so that's been our prayer for our boy, that he might grow up into a Christ-like leader. And of course, we've, we put as much intentionality into our daughter's name as well. But here's the point. Here's the point. God, you know, I, I, I always have to balance these illustrations out, okay? Because... My daughter will become envious, jealous, you know, so forth. <laughs> Zachariah, so here's the main point. God, God, let's get it back to God. He had a lot of meaning for Zachariah's name, intentional meaning. Zachariah had a choice to make. On one hand, he had the choice to raise his son, his new son, steeped in his family's traditions, his culture's traditions, even his religious traditions, even as, as to, to fulfill some sense of pride in flesh and blood as a father. Or 
On the other hand, to follow God's command to break from tradition. Culturally, even religiously, everyone around the family assumed the boy would be named Zachariah. Junior, right? But God, he had a lot of meaning for Zachariah's son's name. Intentional meaning. Naming the baby after dad would not have been a bad thing in and of itself. Zachariah is a beautiful name. It means God remembers. And how appropriate that naming would be because as Zachariah and Elizabeth were presenting their baby's son to be circumcised, the act itself was a living out of God remembers. Zachariah and Elizabeth were obeying what Moses' law instructed to initiate a newborn boy into God's covenant and his covenant community. By presenting the baby boy for circumcision, Zachariah and Elizabeth were saying in their hearts, probably even as an act of reverence and worship, God, you made a promise to your people. We are your people. We want this boy to be your people. We want to live in your covenant blessings as your people. What? God was about to do something new, entirely new. Now, one criticism you'll often hear against religion in general and Christianity in specific is that people believe and they're that religion because it's just the culture that they were raised in. That religion simply gets passed down through culture as a mere cultural artifact. I believe God himself could not agree more with you if that is your criticism. God would be the first to say that what matters is not physical circumcision to be included in God's covenant people, but a spiritual transformation of the heart. What Romans chapter 2, as Paul is inspired later, he writes, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and a circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Meaning to our beloved Jewish uh, friends, you're a true Jew when you truly have faith in God as revealed through the Scriptures and looking forward to His Messiah as a matter of faith from the heart, not just because you're born flesh and blood. And Christians the same. Just because we're brought up in a Christian family doesn't make us Christian. And this is why God himself breaks from his people's tradition, the Jewish people's tradition, and commands Zechariah to name his boy counterculturally. God's name for the boy was John. What does John mean? God is gracious. Graced by God. You see, see, uh, a lot of Judaism and Christianity easily becomes outward and cultural because it's missing genuine faith from the heart. And in God's system, his worldview, his perspective, there's only one remedy for turning outward, lifeless religion into genuine inward faith and transformation. We see it happening in Zechariah, meaning God's grace as applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the only remedy. 
And so I hope you'll see the significance, just as if you've ever experienced a beautiful sunrise from the dark to now the sun breaking forward and all the beauty of that, this is the dawn of God's family ultimately being made up of spiritual children, not just flesh and blood children. And this is the Christmas story. The story of God's grace bringing life to our ultimately lifeless attempt at being good before God through the law on our own. So just one more thought for today. Remember, we're asking, what good things can we learn from Zachariah's experience of repentance? And so what I want you to see as well is that repentance, what comes part and parcel, always, immediately, even simultaneously, is an overflow into faith, hope-giving, life-giving faith. And this faith, it leads to new decisions, a new will, new choices, meaning overflowing into good works according to God's definition of good. Let's look at verse 62. Remember, Zachariah is still mute. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, the baby boy. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. At that precise moment of Zechariah changing his mind, this was his second chance to change his mind. In that moment, that precise moment of demonstrating that change of mind by obeying God and believing and naming his child John, we see simultaneously faith and obedience being born in Zachariah's heart. And in mercy, God lifts his punishment and frees Zachariah's mouth. And what happens? Praise comes flying out. We don't have time to go deep into Zachariah's song. We just read the first line of Zachariah's song uh, in the scripture reading. But you could consider Zachariah's song the second official Christmas carol after Mary's Magnificat. And we can summarize Zachariah's song in two big ideas. First up, big idea, faith. It's just a bursting out of faith and just praising God for who he is and what he's done. And later on, you can go and look at it for yourself, the song calls God's people to serve God with delight, with joy, and to obey God out of faith. Now another John, John C. Ryle, uh, first Anglican bishop of Liverpool and defender of the gospel during a pivotal time in England's church history, reflected this way. Zachariah shows that his nine months dumbness or muteness, not being able to speak, had not been inflicted on him in vain. He is no longer faithless but believing. He now believes every word that God spoke to him through Gabriel, and every word of his message shall be obeyed. So let us take heed that affliction does us good, as it did to Zechariah. In God's worldview, sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions, 
The sorrow that humbles us and drives us near to God is a blessing and a downright gain. So how do we make this our own? My heart for you as a pastor, as an elder, is that from a place of changing your mind, beautiful repentance, and then faith bubbling up from there, that we could apply this in our lives. So first, how has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you as you've been listening to the expounding of Scripture, as you've been listening to me trying to do my best to unpack Christ and grace from this passage? Is he encouraging you? Is he exposing unbelief or sin? Is he challenging you and showing you ways to keep maturing into greater Christ-likeness? Meaning, how is the Holy Spirit moving you in the beautiful sense of the word, the true sense of the word, repent? How is the Holy Spirit calling you to change your mind, perhaps, to align with God's worldview, his outlook, his perspective? Second, like Zechariah, Genuine repentance that's inspired by God's grace always overflows in genuine faith and obedience through good works. So what good work is God calling you to today? What matter of obedience is before you? Don't delay. Be inspired by God's good grace to you and gladly respond like Zachariah eventually did in heartfelt worship, into song, and into just wanting to serve his God. Now, there's also a warning for us to heed from Zechariah's story. Be careful, especially speaking to the church today, be careful that your Christianity is not just cultural, that your Christmas is not just cultural, not just outward traditions. Rather, let it be full of real life, full of God's grace, a true change of mind, in perspective. And finally, take comfort in Zachariah's story. Perhaps you feel tested, or even you feel like you're going through a season perhaps of, of, of hardship. Take comfort that God's fatherly love is perfect. And if perhaps even you feel like you're, you're under the hand of the Lord's discipline in a season of life, it truly is for our good. Appreciate how Wayne Grudem reflects. Every day of our lives, we may quiet our discouragement with the comfort that comes from the knowledge of God's infinite wisdom. If we are his children, we can know that he is working wisely in our lives, even today, to bring us into greater conformity into the image of Christ. So in these ways, you'll be celebrating and living out the true Christmas story. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that some 2,000 years ago in history, there was this babe born. And he was named Jesus. And he grew up into a man. And we attest to his perfect life, his sinless life. And we acknowledge him as the one who took our place for our sins. And you were pleased to accept his willing sacrifice so that we could be reconciled to you, 
that your spirit could be poured out and to do a real work in our hearts, a real transformation. That as we know your grace, that our hearts are brought to life. Lord, we thank you for the prequel to his story. That you show us what a beautiful repentance looks like through the life and story of Zechariah. And so help us to take what you've impressed on our hearts today. And so we pray, Lord, keep um, deepening uh, just a, a truer, more beautiful repentance, a willingness to change our minds and see more and more our life through the lens of your Son and your gospel of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.